following is a Goulash Media production. GoulashMedia.net Welcome to the system is down. Well, yo, ho, hello there, downers. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the least comfortable show on the web. You know the name. It's The System is Down. It's the best show on the interwebs. My name is Dan Smots. I am your host, and if you're new here, welcome to the show. You picked a good one to start on. Um, this is the place where we talk about things like conspiracies, politics, religion, and everything that people don't like to talk about. And today's question of the day is abortion? Yes, abortion, question mark. Where do you stand on it? Do you have a stance on it? If you don't, you really probably should. I know there's a lot of people that just like to ignore it and pretend like it's not there, um, but I, I think it's really important that people at least know why they think what they think, and or at, at the very least know what they think. So I, I would advise you, before we get into this conversation, maybe even just pause and think about that. Think about your actual stance and see if it changes. See if it changes throughout this conversation with Abby Johnson. For me personally, I've gone back and forth on the issue a bit. I was raised very conservative Christian and believed hardcore, no abortion, no circumstances, no matter what. And I've had my bouts of times where I thought maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a time, maybe there's a time before there's a life in this quote unquote clump of cells and that would be okay, right? But the, the problem with that, obviously, is you have to figure out where that line is. If there's, uh, I, I don't want to get off on a diatribe because we're going to talk about all this stuff in the episode. And I don't, you know, Abby says all this stuff way better than I do, but I, I, I say that to say I've gone back and forth on the issue and I'm genuinely curious to hear if you, you know, if this episode sways your opinion at all or strengthens your opinion, or anything. It's a topic that's been very politicized and made into this uh, divisive thing, rather than, you know, focusing on the reality of what it is is happening in an abortion. There's one side of this debate that thinks the other side is trying to take away women's rights, and then there's the other side that thinks the first side is murdering children. So, you know, you can see how it's a bit of a sticky subject. And Abby Johnson was super gracious to give me a whole bunch of time, way more than we actually planned on, because the conversation went so well. And we're going to jump into it here in about 35 to 60 seconds. But in case you haven't been listening to the show, I want to let you know that the Downers Club is now on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the system is down. You can sign up for as little as $5 a month and get several bonus episodes of this show every single week, plus video episodes and bonus video content, all sorts of fun stuff. At certain levels, I send you merch and DVDs and all sorts of strange things. So get over there, get in here, get into the Downers Club, help support the show. Patreon.com forward slash the system is down. All right, guys, let's jump into this. Here's my conversation with the wonderful and brave Abby Johnson. Let's get weird. I guess today is educator, author, and former Planned Parenthood director, Abby Johnson. Abby, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I, I heard your story on 
uh, Stephen Crowder's show, actually, and found it fascinating, some of the stuff that you're talking about that you've been through, and I had to pick up a copy of your book, and um, it's pretty rare for me to finish any book, uh, <laughs> whether it's reading or audio, which I, I listen to it, I'll be honest. Um, yeah. So thanks for thanks for putting that on Audible. I appreciate it. But it, it's pretty oh, rare yeah. for me, it's pretty rare for me to even finish an audio book. But uh, I found it to be not just a informative read, but it was I, I found it really well written and it kept my attention. So thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, people have said. Oh, I, I read it in like a day and I'm like, uh, I don't know if that means it's a good read or if I write like a kindergartner. So I don't, <laughs> but either way it keeps their attention. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was great. Um, so <laughs> give a, give a little bit of background on you before we get into the Planned Parenthood stuff, like your upbringing and, um, especially like with your, your faith in your upbringing and, and, uh, your, your thoughts on abortion before you got into this. Sure. Yeah. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, um, amazing parents and, you know, going to church, doing the whole youth group thing, all that. Right. Um, and then, uh, I was baptized when I was eight. So, you know, I grew up knowing the Lord, loving him, serving him. And then I went to college and I went to Texas A&M and like a lot of, uh, college kids do. I found um, partying far more interesting than uh, class and right. certainly more interesting than church. So um, I sort of fell away from my faith during that time, you know, was never like an atheist or anything like that. I was still a Christian, but just was not really plugged in. And, um, and then I, I met a woman with Planned Parenthood and she was just, you know, giving me all of the talking points of Planned Parenthood and how great they are and all these women that they serve. And, you know, I just thought, wow, that sounds great. <laughs> I right. mean, you know, it sounded good to me. I didn't, I remember in high school saying that I was pro-life, but if you would have, you know, put me in a debate against someone who was pro-choice, I would have lost because, abortion wasn't something that we talked about in my home. It wasn't something we talked about, you know, as we sat around the dinner table or anything, you know, being pro-life was something that we said, but it really wasn't how we lived. Sure. And so, you know, when I met this woman from Planned Parenthood, I was basically like, you know, just a blank slate for her to start writing all of her talking points on. Right. So, so you, you say that your parents weren't, uh, they they weren't like explicitly um, anti-abortion. Did they did they just not take a stance on it or like? No, no, they were pro-life. Like they were against abortion, but we just didn't we didn't talk about it. And the, and sure. I grew up in um, in South Louisiana, and there were no abortion clinics mm -hmm. around where we lived. Um, I think the closest abortion clinic would have probably been like two hours away. Mm -hmm. um, I had never heard of a pregnancy center my entire life. I don't even know if there were pregnancy centers around where we lived. Um, so it just, I don't know. They just, they weren't activists in mm -hmm. any way, shape or form. They were definitely against abortion, but um, it just wasn't, it just, it just wasn't something that, that we did anything with, you know? Right. Gotcha. Now, after you were recruited to, was it recruiting to just like volunteer to help out or what was the situation there? 
Yeah, they were trying. It was at a volunteer fair. So they were trying. It was a bunch of nonprofits from the area and they were trying to recruit um, volunteers and, and probably patients too and maybe potentially staff. And so, yeah, I got involved. I was just super naive. I didn't know anything about them. And so I got involved and um, I started, I started volunteering actually as um, a client escort. So um, like not the porn kind, but um, sure. the, <laughs> the like walking, walking women to and mm-hmm. from their car um, when they had an appointment for an abortion. And you know, I just thought these women deserve to, you know, go to a clinic without being harassed, which mm-hmm. is of course, you know, what they had, that was what they had told me that these people were out there were doing and just trying to take away women's rights and all of this. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I got involved as a volunteer and then shortly after that, I, um, graduated from college and as even before I graduated I was offered a position with them mm-hmm. and took it immediately because I, I really believe that you know we were helping women right. and that I was there to help women and, and felt like this is what I should be doing yeah and, and I know a lot of um anti people who speak out against abortion um abortion clinics and things like that they'll try they'll dehumanize the uh the caregivers there um the thing that i liked about hearing your story is you get to see it it is very humanizing and you you had kind of an internal conflict with uh how you were raised and uh this thing that you that you didn't just think it's okay and legal you thought that it was doing a moral good you were convinced of that Right. right Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, hopefully that's sort of what my story does for, for people in, on both sides of, of the aisle is, you know, I think that the pro-choice movement has really um, done a pretty good job to dehumanize those that are against abortion and, and those who go and stand in front of abortion clinics and, um, and then the pro-life movement has done a pretty good job at dehumanizing not only the women that go in, but also the clinic workers, people right. that work there, because that's, that's natural. I mean, anytime you have a, a, a huge you know, human tragedy, a large human tragedy, people look for someone to blame. Right. And so, you know, naturally in this situation, they're going to want to blame the people who are participating who are you know performing the abortions Mm -hmm. and so it's it's you know natural that they would blame the clinic workers we're really trying to shift blame away from people to sort of this systemic injustice that is cultural that's in our society um and i I think we've done a pretty good job of doing that but I, i think when i left the clinic you know there were certainly um people, I don't know, they looked at me and they were like, oh, like she's normal. Like she's, <laughs> she doesn't have like horns and a pitchfork right. and a tail. Like she's totally normal. I had a kid at that time when I left, I was married. I had totally normal parents, like a normal upbringing. And that was surprising, I think, to people in the pro-life movement because they really wanted to make it like, oh, we had these crazy lives and we were, and that just, that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, how long did you work for them before you got 
promoted to the position of director? So I was there for six years. I was a director for two years. I, I had different jobs there. So um, my first promotion really came as uh, I was the community services director, fundraising director. I worked in public policy for Planned Parenthood. So I did, you know, the political part, legislative part. I did all the fundraising. And so that was my first promotion that I got, that I, I got about four years after I had started working there. And then um, I had been doing that for a while and it was okay, but I really missed doing the clinical part of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, the position came up to run the clinic and I thought, no, this is, this is actually where I want to be. Like, I'm tired of like schmoozing for money. Like <laughs> I want to be with the patients. I want to work with the patients. And so, um, so we, I ended up applying for that job and, and getting it. And then I was the director for a little over two years before I, before I left. Now, um, during, during this eight year span, how did your, your friends and family, the, the people that were close to you that knew you as this, you know, little Christian girl in the past, <laughs> how did they, uh, re- react and respond to, you know, the career choice that you chose? Yeah, they definitely didn't like it. I mean, my parents, I actually didn't tell my parents for a year and a half, mm-hmm. um, that I was working at Planned Parenthood. I, I had, uh, actually the third I start out, I think the third chapter of my book saying, never trust a decision you wouldn't tell your mom about. Right. Um, <laughs> and so that was definitely the case for me. I, I knew that my parents were against abortion. Um, I knew that they would not agree with my decision to work for Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't tell them. So I thought, well, I'll get like enough really good stories together and then I'll tell them, but I'll say, oh, but look at all the good we're doing. Right. right. <laughs> um, so when I did tell them, they were, they weren't happy. Um, they weren't happy that I had lied about it for so long and, and that I was working there. Yeah. Um, my, my husband actually, um, was always pro-life. So he was always against abortion. So that made, you know, were you married before you started there? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I started, well, I started working there in 2001 and Doug and I got married in 2005. Okay. So, yeah. So I think, you know, people have asked him, you know, what in the world? Like, why? Right. <laughs> you know, if you were against this, why would you marry someone? But I mean, that's just, I don't know. I think he has said, you know, I just always believed in the back of my mind that eventually she would see that in order to care for women, you can't separate them from their children. And that eventually she would, she would come around to that way of thinking. But I mean, really, it's just the easier explanation. It's just that, you know, when you fall in love, you're not like, <laughs> I liked her. Oh, Shut well, up. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not going to love you anymore. If you right. still work playing parent, I mean, it's just not the way it works. So, um, we were a situation where we were on very different sides of this issue, but you know, it's, it still worked out. So yeah. sure. Now, um, let, let's talk about this, uh, this leaving, leaving the company, uh, what led up to your departure and how'd that go for you? <laughs> yeah. So a few things. So 2009 had been sort of a, a, an interesting year, um, for the clinic. So in January of that year, they had announced that, that we were going to be building the affiliate I worked for out of Houston. We were going to be building this huge 
facility and it was going to be the largest abortion facility in the Western hemisphere. And they were really proud of it. And, um, it was, it, it is, it's currently operational, um, 78,000 square feet, seven stories tall. Mm-hmm. We were going to be aborting babies through the six month of pregnancy wow. and for elective abortions mm-hmm. for any reason. And at that time I thought, okay, you know, abortion's fine until the point of viability. That was really like, that was where my head was. Like that right. was where my moral the point that's was, driven right? home like, <laughs> the justification point of viability. Like when that baby can survive on its own, you should not kill it. Well, sure. I had always believed that that point of viability was like 24, 26 weeks. Well then one day I was reading like a super scientific article in people magazine <laughs> and um, <laughs> it said that it was telling a story of this baby I think her name was Lily and it was in the UK and she was born at 21, 21, five or something, mm-hmm. 21 weeks, five days. And she survived and she's fine. She's healthy, happy little girl. She's probably like a teenager now. And so I read that and I was like, Oh dang, like now I've got to move my, my point of viability back. Right. Because right. this girl was like 21 weeks. So now I've got to believe that any abortion after 21 weeks is wrong since that's now the point of viability. Right. And so here we are in this meeting and they're bragging about doing abortions through 24 weeks. And I was like, Ugh, like that. And I had told people like, Oh, I would never work for a clinic that did abortions right. past viability. Here we were. So I, that was probably the first time I came home and said, I don't know that this is going to be where I work for the rest of my life. Um, that was sort of the first crack. But then in April of that year, I got I was awarded their employee of the year award. So that sort of got me back on track and I was liking what I was doing. And then that summer we had run out of title 20 funding, which is like a cash grant funding. We always ran out in April or May. And so we had run out and um, the primary people that we saw in the title 20 funding program were undocumented immigrants and minors. Mm-hmm. And so most of these women were coming in on title 20 funds to get birth control or annual exams or SC testing or whatever. And so we had to, you know, the corporate had made a decision like, well, you know, what are we going to do? Are we going to, you know, continue to see these women? Are we going to see them for free? Cause they hadn't been paying anything mm. if they were on the 20 program or, do we um, charge them, you know, a reduced fee or do we just charge them at regular price? And so they had decided, like our management team had decided that um, they were just going to continue seeing them, but they were going to have to pay self-pay, full pay prices. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was ridiculous. I was like, this is crap because we, so for instance, a woman, if she came in for a Depo-Provera birth control injection we were going to charge her $150 for the injection plus a $30 injection fee. Okay. She's going to have to pay $180 every three months for the little vial of Depo Provera. We paid $8, but we were charging 150 and the injection fee was stupid. Like it didn't even require a nurse. Like anybody could give the injection. So I was like, why are we charging $30? Not even like 
you don't have to be a nurse or right. medical staff to do it. But they're providing so, these cheap contraceptives that people can't get other anywhere else, right? Yeah, that's right, right? And so <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, but this is BS. Like, we should not be – and so I spoke up, and I was like, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we should be – I mean, so what? We charge them 20 bucks, right, for the depot. We're still making a $12 profit. Right. And we're a nonprofit, right? So <laughs> who cares about making money? Like, and that was when my boss, she looked at me and she said, Abby, she said, nonprofit is a tax status, not a business status. Well, wow. And I was like, okay. And so I continued to see these patients. Like we even, we either just wrote it off or we charged them whatever they had. Like, and so I had sort of gotten reprimanded for that because I wasn't following their money-making directive. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then in, so things were like starting to sort of like spiral down for me, right. you know? And so then in August of that year, I had a budget meeting with my same supervisor and the budgets all came from, um, the affiliate. So we didn't create our budget. They were just given to us. And so I was looking at the budget and I noticed that um, they wanted us to double our abortion quota, the certain number of abortions that we had to sell to patients. Mm. And I was like, wait a minute. Like I thought that our goal here at Planned Parenthood was to reduce the number of abortions. I mean, that's what, what they we, say. That's what we told everybody. That's mm -hmm. what we told the media, you know, and, uh, but here it was like, we were doubling our quota. And so I, I said something to my boss about it and she just, she started laughing at me and she said, why would we want to reduce the abortion numbers? That's how we make our money. Wow. And so things were just sort of like stacking up and I was, you know, trying to decide like, am, you know, what am I going to do here? And then, um, about a month later, we had a visiting physician come in from out of town and he was going to do ultrasound guided abortions, which was not, uh, that was not the way that Planned Parenthood, that was not our protocol. Our sure. protocol was to perform the abortion in a blind manner. So the doctor has a suction tube, he puts it into the uterus, he blindly pokes around in the woman's uterus until he thinks he has enough of everything in the glass jar. Well. And so this doctor though was telling me, I mean, I don't think this is going to be shocking for anybody, but that it's safer for women if the doctor can see what they're doing <laughs> while they're performing the abortion, while they're performing surgery, right? right. And I was like, <laughs> most yeah. practices are safer if you are able to see what you're doing, but right. You know. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, and that made sense because I couldn't think of any other surgical procedure that was performed blindly. Like right. I couldn't think of of anything else where the doctor literally could not see what he's doing while he's performing surgery. Yet abortion is the most common surgical procedure in the United States. Well, for, so for, like, for even procedures like, I don't know, colonoscopies and stuff, they, they send a camera in first. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Like, I mean, appendectomies, root mm -hmm. canals. I mean, any wisdom teeth, <laughs> like you don't just randomly grab a tooth and pull it, right? right. Like want to see what you're doing. And so, it was just, it was strange. And so I, um, but this doctor, you know, I went and asked my boss, like, if this is safer for women, why aren't we doing it? And she told me that, um, it is safer, but that using an ultrasound during the abortion procedure would take up about an extra three minutes of time. 
And our goal at Planned Parenthood was to have women on the table, off the table, abortion complete in five minutes. Good Lord. And so adding an additional three minutes of time was just not something we could do. I mean, we, we would do, I mean, I don't know, 40 to 60 abortions a day. So mm-hmm. you just don't have that sort of time. And, um, and so I accepted that, but the doctor told me that he would show me what this type of abortion procedure looked like when he came next. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that was when I got to see what was really happening to this fetus in the womb. And, um, the woman was 13 weeks pregnant and I saw this 13 week old baby, like fight, fighting and struggling for his life against the abortion instruments. And I knew then that I'd been lied to by Planned Parenthood and I wasn't a victim. Like I eagerly believe sure. the lies. Um, but that in turn, I had lied to just thousands of women who had come into my door and I knew that I had to get out. Like I knew that I couldn't stay there anymore. And so, um, I decided to leave. And when I left, um, I reached out to a pro-life group because I knew I was going to need help finding a job. Mm-hmm. And cause I lived in a super conservative area and I joke, I mean, I was definitely the most hated local celebrity in town. Like everybody <laughs> hated my guts. I worked in an abortion clinic. And so I knew I was going to need their help. And so I reached out to them. And when Planned Parenthood found out that I had reached out to the pro-life group, they actually sued me really? and tried to get a permanent gag order against me. So I wouldn't be able to talk about what I had seen mm-hmm. inside the abortion industry. Um, by what do you mean by what you had seen? Um, is there stuff that they're not typically super happy to share with the public? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, I mean, being the director and, and being pretty high up in management by the time I left, um, you know, I think their main concern, so they've got this big donor that gives, um, about $23 million a year through a fund called the justice fund. And, um, they, this guy gives $23 million so that low income women can have access to abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's super, I mean, it, it comes across, like if you look at the actual numbers, like it comes across as like super targeted to minorities, mm. um, which makes sense. Cause this dude is really, he's an overpopulation person and all this. And so Anyway, he was giving this anonymously and I, I knew who it was. So I think they were really concerned that I was going to tell people who it was, which I have. I mean, it's Warren Buffett, which is, you know, not a huge surprise to people that, that know who he is and what he does. But sure. um, so I think they didn't want that getting out. And then also just all the like all the settlements and stuff, like the things that we had settled um, outside of court, you know, perforating a woman's uterus, which you know, then sent her to the hospital and we would pay her off. Like literally we'd give her like $800 Wow. because you know, these women that were coming in, they were low. Most of them were low income. Right. And so you wave $800 in front of them and that's enough to keep them quiet when, you know, really they could have taken us for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right. but they don't know any better. And then we make them sign a, a statement saying that, you know, they won't ever go to the media, mm. you know, in exchange for this money, for this tiny little, teeny amount of money. Um, and so they do it. And, you know, we had situations where we had left part of the baby in the woman's uterus and she would become septic and she'd have to go to the emergency room and they'd have to do another DNC. And I mean, it was just 
terrible. It was just really bad patient care. But I mean, like you can't expect anything else when you're taking five minutes of time. Right. The doctor's literally with the patient for five minutes. Right. Um, so it, it's, you know, there's just a lot of things that I think they didn't want getting out in the public, which I mean, in hindsight, they probably did the right thing by suing me <laughs> um, because they were worried that I was going to expose all this crap. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's exactly what I've done. Right. Um, but I, that actually wasn't my, when I left Planned Parenthood, I had no desire to speak out publicly. It actually wasn't until they sued me. When they sued me, they sent out a press release to the AP saying, you know, oh, we're regretfully having to sue our former employee for confidentiality issues, blah, blah, blah. That got picked up by the AP. And that was the reason that I was on like CNN and Fox. And, you know, it was, that was the reason it got picked up because right. of their press release. If they would have not done that, nobody would have been interested. And I would just be a practice manager in an OBGYN office. <laughs> But yeah. it was their own mistake. It was their own arrogance and foolishness that caused my story to get put into the public eye and then caused me to, you know, start talking about what I knew because people were asking. Sure. What did they think they had against you in this case? Because uh, in listening to your book, it seemed like they had a very, very thin case. <laughs> they really had nothing. So what had happened was when I left Planned Parenthood, my two best friends that I worked with, I told them that I was leaving. I told them why I was leaving. And I told them that the Coalition for Life, this pro-life group was helping me. And so they had said, well, if you're not going to be here, we don't want to be here either. So mm -hmm. do you think they would help us get a job? And so I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would. So they ended up sending me their resumes. I sent them on to the Coalition for Life, all this kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So I think what happened was Maybe people started calling, asked, I don't know this for sure, but my best educated guess is that other um, employers started calling, asking like for references or whatever, mm -hmm. because they were, their resume was getting circulated to different places. And then Planned Parenthood found out about it. So Planned Parenthood asked them, are you trying to leave? Because if they found out that you were leaving your job, they would just fire you. Mm-hmm. Um, on the spot. And so what I think happened was that they probably were like, no, no, we're not, you know, and then they found out, oh, somebody called. So what happened was they actually lied and said that I had stolen their resumes from their personnel file and was distributing them without their permission. Mm. Well, when we got to court, I don't know, like if they just, you know, forgot that I would have a huge email trail of them <laughs> asking me to send their resume over right. um, with their resume attached. But I mean, I had that. So my attorney basically stood up when these two women got on the stand and said, uh, if she stole your resume, then what's, you know, what's all these right. emails about? <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, they had to admit we were lying, you know, we actually did ask for her help and then that was it. I mean, the judge threw it out, but that was really the only reason I think they were able to even get a court date was because these two women had lied. Right. Um, and we could have technically gone after them for perjury, but you know, they had been my best friend, so I sure. didn't want to be too right. big of a jerk, but yeah. You don't get much to gain in that anyway. Yeah. Um, so 
it's all just so bizarre. Uh, why why would they send out the press release and broadcast this thing to the world if they they had to know that they didn't have a whole lot to bank on here? Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I I have no idea why they sent that press release out. Um, I think I think they were I think they did it in fear. I think they were scared that. I was going to go to the media. So mm-hmm. they were trying to sort of head it off. Get ahead. Yeah. But I was never planning on going to the media. Um, <laughs> I was never planning on telling my story. So at that time, actually, you know, when I first left, I was like, mm, like, I don't know that I consider myself pro life, like, because sure. I thought pro lifers were nuts. And I was <laughs> like, I don't want to be involved in whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so it's like they thought that I was going to come out and like be this like pro-life darling for them, but I wasn't even really there yet, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, um, yeah, it was weird. It was a terrible error on their part because that's truly what shoved me into this position that I'm in right now. Right. Hey, Dan Smots here. I'm taking a second to interrupt myself talking to talk about myself because, you know, I don't get paid a penny for the hours and hours that I put into creating this show for you guys in your greedy little ears. And I've got a family to feed. To make that happen, I run my own media business called Goulash Media. If you have a need in anything from video production to graphic design to audio production and beyond, you can get it all for a painfully fair price at Goulash Media. In video, I do weddings, music videos, commercials, pageants, plays, etc., etc., etc. For design, I do photo editing, album art, logos, branding, business cards, merchandise, you name it. For audio, I do engineering, production, editing, jingles, and, well, podcasts. So if you've got a media need of any kind, or if you'd just like to give a little something back and help keep my children fed, check out all the endless options at my website, goulashmedia.net. That's goulash, G-O-U-L-A-S-H, media.net, where we cater to the little guy with the big vision. (sighs) Okay. You talk about um, how they had quotas for these abortions. Uh, I find it appalling that uh, that's a thing, like car sales. Um, but we hear in the media all the time about their the other services that they offer, like mammograms and pap tests and things like that. Like, What is the uh, percentage of one over the other as far as what they do most? So looking at my budget... And which I actually ended up finding like a couple years after I'd left, I found it like in an old purse. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at my budget and looking at the budgets of other workers who have left, it looks like the, the honest percentage of the abortions they're providing are around 40%. So it's about 40% abortion and about 60% other services. So mm-hmm. Um, but all of those other services, and this sounds totally like Alex Jones conspiracy theory, <laughs> and it's it's totally not. Okay? It's all right. It's all right. It's welcome here. So okay. <laughs> so the um all of their services that they provide, like their primary service would be birth control, right, and STD testing. Those mm-hmm. are the prime. They don't do mammograms or anything like that. Really, their primary um primary service that they provide to women birth control std testing now if you look at those two procedures you know services they're providing Mm -hmm. they're doing it for a reason so why do they want to test for gonorrhea and chlamydia because they care about the gonorrhea and chlamydia rates in your community no Mm -hmm. they're testing for those and getting people on funding for it and doing it for free because they know 
that these people coming in for STD testing are probably statistically participating in riskier, high risk behavior, right? right? Like riskier sexual behavior. And statistically, we also know that people that participate in high risk sexual behavior are also more likely to have an unplanned pregnancy. Right. And so Planned Parenthood wants to be that primary source of contact for them so that when they do have that unplanned pregnancy, they go back to the same place that they've already been before. And then Planned Parenthood can talk them into having an abortion, can sell them an abortion because that's really how they make their money. Right. Okay. It's the same thing with contraception. They don't care about contracepting the masses. They're not interested in reducing the abortion rate. If they were, Clearly. they wouldn't have abortion quotas, right? right? The reason that they're doing, they're providing contraception to your 11, 12, 13-year-old kids is because they know, according to their own numbers, that 54% of women who have abortions were using contraception at the time that they got pregnant. Yeah. So they, they know that more than likely at some point in time, this girl's contraception is going to fail, particularly if you put her on like a pill. I mean, I'm almost 38 years old and I can't remember to take a pill every day <laughs> at the same time within a two hour window. Okay. Right. So ask a 13, 14 year old to do it. No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they know that the risk of human failure rate is very high in that population of people. And so let's get them on contraception. Let's get them on a method that has a a high human error rate so that they will experience an unplanned pregnancy. And because they came to us for contraception, because they trust us with their sexual health, they will eventually come back to us when they do have that unplanned pregnancy. And it's just another opportunity for us to sell them an abortion. It's this, it's the same reason that Planned Parenthood is trying so desperately to get into the public school systems. It's not because they have this great curriculum. They want to teach your kids. It's because they want to be your friends, your, your child's friend, the go-to name. They want to be the go-to name. In fact, when we did, I used to do education for Planned Parenthood. We went out to do education in schools. We would tell kids, you know, your parents are not a safe place for you to go. Your parents do not understand what you're, what you're feeling right now. Wow. They don't understand they're, they're old school. They're not going to want you to be on birth control. They're oh not going to want you to protect themselves. They just want you to not have sex. And we know that that's not going to happen. Right. So you know, just come to me. I'm your trusted friend. I'm your trusted advisor. The whole point of their education program is to break the bond between parent and child. That's horrifying. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's what they're trying to do. And that's what they do during abortion, right? They're going to come in, you're going to come in, they're going to tell you in their counseling session that, you know, you're, it's not a child. It's not a baby. Mm -hmm. It's nothing. And they're doing the exact same thing. They're trying to break that maternal bond between mother and child. That's what they do. They're really good at it in many different of the, many different types of services they provide. And that's why they're so successful. Good Lord. I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that they were doing presentations in schools at all. Oh yeah. And they get paid big money for it. Like mm. here in Austin, I live in Austin, Texas, super, you know, Planned Parenthood crazy around here, but I loves it. Sure. But um, here Austin ISD paid Planned Parenthood like, five hundred thousand mm. dollars to come in and do the sex ed presentation for all of the austin area isd schools and that is uh their program starts in kindergarten good lord so they're why what does a kindergartner need to know about uh, planned parenthood <laughs> yeah well let me tell you what they did so 
um, in a few schools, they actually took stuffed animals to these elementary classrooms and they were showing them different sexual positions oh with gosh. the stuffed animals. And I mean, some of these were in like kindergarten and first grade mm-hmm. and they were showing them these different sexual positions with stuffed animals. And then, um, and, and so then like the parents found out about it and they were all like mad, whatever. Yep. <laughs> and Planned Parenthood totally defended it. They were like, oh no, this is good. Like your kindergartners need to know about different sexual positions. Totally <laughs> normal for strangers to be showing your five-year-old sex positions. Yeah. It's just, they're totally perverted. Like they are, um, they, they really, they want to teach our kids all kinds of sexual deviancy at a very, very young age. Mm-hmm. That's it. Wow. And they want to break down like a kid's natural modesty. Right. You know, they want to make innocence. it like, yeah, like they want to make it like, oh no, it's like, you know, it's cool to explore your body with your friends when you're in first grade. Like it's yeah. cool to take your pants off in front of each other and look at each other's private parts. Like it's just breaking down that natural modesty that children are born with. It's innate to them. They want to start doing that at a very young age. Mm. Wow. Now I've heard you talk, I think it was on Tucker Carlson show. Um, you talked about the selling of the baby parts after the abortions. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So there's only about five affiliates, um, five Planned Parenthood affiliates in the country that actually participate in this baby body part selling thing. Um, but they're the large affiliates. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like Planned Parenthood, Marmonte, Planned Parenthood, Rocky Mountains, Planned Parenthood, Houston. It's like they're big affiliates. Mm-hmm. So, cause they want to have high volume. Um, you know, you want to have a lot of babies to sell. Right. So um, our affiliate was one that participated in this. So we basically got $200 um, per baby that we sent to this research company. And I, I'm not really sure. It was a research company um, called Amphioxus Cell Technologies. I'm not really sure what they were doing. Like they're closed now, but mm-hmm. I remember one time looking it up and they were doing something with like, liver experimentation or I don't sure. know. Um, so we never knew like what exactly they were doing with the babies. We just knew that we were supposed to package them into a styrofoam box. And like every other day, somebody with Amphioxus would come to our facility, pick up the box and we'd get a check. Um, so even, okay. If I'm being like super conservative on the numbers. So mm-hmm. that Houston clinic, has the capability they have the capacity to perform 75 abortions a day okay so let's just say half of those patients actually um end up consenting which they all do by the way because you sell it to them and say you know oh by the way this is really um this is a really good program because you're going to help cure alzheimer's and you're going to help cure Parkinson's. And so it comes across as this like really altruistic thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so the women all, they all consent, but let's just say that only half of them consent. Okay. So that is, and let's say that, that if, if I do the numbers and I say, okay, let's say that half of 75 come in every day six days a week. Mm-hmm. And then only half of those actually end up consenting to the procedure, to the, to the research. 
our affiliate still is looking at making over $2 million a year just on that program alone. And we literally had to do nothing for the money because either way at the end of an abortion procedure, you're still piecing the body parts together. Right. So it's not like we're having to do any extra work. You're still having to do the same work. It's just, does it go in this styrofoam, this styrofoam box for the research company, or does it go into this red biohazard bag for Stericycle? Right. I mean, that was literally the only difference. So it was just a, it was just an easy $2 million a year plus. Now, is it legal for them to sell parts? Um, Yeah. So the technically, yes. Um, As long as it's not being, as long as it's not any sort of like NIH, like federal government sort of research program, then Mm. yes, you can make money. Mm. The, The term of art in the law says valuable consideration. Okay. So as long as you're not making, let's say $5,000 per baby, as long as you can account for the money, the the amount of money that you're getting from the, the technology company. So for instance, we're getting $200. Okay. So they line item that out. So they say, okay, um, a hundred dollars of that goes for processing. Mm-hmm even though we're doing it anyway. Okay. We're going to line out in that out and say a hundred dollars of that goes for processing. Right. We're going to say $50 goes for um, storage, keeping it in our freezer, which we'd have to keep it in the freezer anyway. Okay. And then $50 goes for shipping and handling, even though it's actually the cell tech company that's coming to pick up mm-hmm. the box. So we're not out any shipping. Okay. As long as they can line item it out and make sense of the, of the numbers, then it's technically legal. Mm. So what has happened now is that, and this has been going on forever. The first law in the books about fetal tissue research and handling was actually put on the books in 1974. Really? So this isn't something new. This is something that's been mm-hmm. going on for many, many years. Um, as long as Roe v. Wade has been around, they've been doing this. Right. Um, so you know, then it sort of the encouragement to the states was you've got to ban all money, like any any money traded has to be illegal for fetal tissue research. So if they want to do it, then they can't get any money for it. There cannot be any financial exchange right. between the two entities. And so many states ended up passing that. Some states like Texas, where I live, it's just illegal period to perform any research on babies that are aborted. Now, if you have a miscarriage or a stillbirth and you want, you know, to find out some answers. And so they do some research on your baby that was miscarried or stillborn then the parent can consent to that. But if it was through an abortion, that's illegal um, in the state of Texas and many other States. So, but you know, uh, it's not anything that Planned Parenthood has ever tried to hide. Sure. I mean, I remember when I worked there, um, one of the affiliates that did it, I don't know if it was like Philadelphia or somewhere up there, New Jersey, New Jersey, they had a page on their website that talked about their altruistic fetal tissue donation program. Right. So it's, it's nothing they've ever tried to hide. I mean, they're pretty proud of it. And even when all that came out, I mean, Cecile Richards was like, yeah, isn't this great what we're doing? We're helping to cure all these diseases. And yep. 
And you got to love the the spin of terminology, fetal tissue rather than baby parts, you know? Right. Yeah. And and, in reality, when you look at what's actually been done with um, embryonic and fetal stem cells, like it's been nothing. Mm -hmm. There's really, there has been no cure that has come about for any disease with embryonic or fetal stem cells. Mm. The technology that's actually coming out now that is helping people with joints or you know whatever it is, the different stem cell research that's come out, it's all been through either umbilical cord stem cells or it's been through adult yeah. stem cells. So we actually have nothing to show for all the collection a lot of, of money babies. A lot, of, a lot money. of money. <laughs> yeah. But we have nothing to show right. medically for it, for any of this that's been done. Right. Wow. It's fascinating. Um, this is horribly depressing. Let's, let's talk about where you are now in life. Yeah. Uh, I know that you gotta, I don't want to keep you here all day. I know you gotta go soon. So, uh, tell everybody you got out of this and you started working with a uh, coalition for life. Is that still going on or where you at now? No, no. My clinic actually closed. Um, and so we've had a ton of clinics close in, in Texas because of different legislative, um, efforts. Mm-hmm. So my clinic closed the coalition for life then sort of went away. So I started my own organization called, and then there were none. And we get abortion clinic workers out of the abortion industry and into different lines of employment. We have um, licensed therapists on staff so we can help them through whatever triggers or trauma or whatever's going on in their life. Cause as you can imagine, like whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, like you can imagine that, the things that they've seen in there have been a lot of them been pretty traumatic. So Mm -hmm. we try to help them work through that. Um, we have a healing, we have a healing retreat program, um, that they can go on. We help them with financial assistance because once somebody decides, I don't want to work in the abortion industry anymore, we don't want to be like, but I've got to stay until I find another job. I mean, once you've decided I don't want to handle baby parts anymore, like we basically want you to get the heck out of there. right? Right. So, we provide um, financial transitional support for them when they leave and until they get another job. So we have um, a team of over 3000 attorneys that um, support them. If there's anything, any legal issues going on that they need protection from with the clinic. Um, We have attorneys that, that represent them pro bono. So we have a pretty comprehensive program for them. And we first got it started like people in the pro-life movement, they were like, oh, it's never going to work. Nobody's ever going to leave, you know, right. and uh, sort of like they're too far gone. Like they would never come into the pro-life movement. They'd never reach out to a pro-lifer, but mm-hmm. um, jokes on them because we've actually helped over 450 workers in the past few years awesome. um, leave the abortion industry. And we've actually helped seven full-time abortion doctors mm-hmm. um, leave their practice in the abortion industry. So, awesome. Um, so it's been pretty awesome to see what's happening. And then in turn, these clinic workers, a lot of times will then shut down. They'll go back because of the information that they know, they go back and help shut down their former clinic. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. It's very cool. Very cool. That's, that's amazing. Um, now with your, uh, your friends that were involved in the, the court case and your friends from the clinic, um, have they been in contact with you since then? Or are they still no, no show? No, No, my, when we still lived in college station, um, well, they both got fired right after the court case because, you know, Planned Parenthood found out they've been lying to them and they Mm -hmm. made them look like fools. So they fired them immediately. 
And one of them actually moved back to Florida and then that's where she was from. And then the other one, um, still lived in the same town as all our family lived there. And so my husband, we'd actually taken our daughter to our pediatrician's office and she was working at the front desk of this pediatrician's office. And my husband saw her and she tried to like scamper away and act like she didn't see him. And he just looked at her and he was like, Hey, listen, nobody's mad at you. Like right. Abby's not mad at you. She understands, you know, the pressure you must've been under and she would love to connect with you again. Right. And she just sort of put her head down and walked off. So I've never talked to, I've never had any conversation with either one of them. Um, since then i mean i hope that one day they'll reach out but the girl that worked at the pediatrician's office like her aunt is still very involved with Planned parenthood so it's sort of like in the family so the chances of her reaching out are are pretty slim yeah now what what is your opinion like on do do you think that abortion should go back to being outlawed as somebody who's been on both sides of the fence literally um do you think that it should be outlawed or do you think that that would uh, be detrimental to woman's health like Planned Parenthood thinks? So, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's ever a reason that a woman needs to have an abortion. Um, and, you know, I think the decision has to be made before um, you decide if you want to participate in something that could potentially right. get you pregnant. Um, you know, a little personal responsibility goes a long way. So, um, but, but right now what I think should happen is I think that, um, Roe v. Wade obviously needs to be overturned. I mean, that whole judgment needs to be recalled. Um, and that won't make abortion illegal. That will just hand the responsibility back over to the states, which is where I think it belongs Mm -hmm. anyway. And so then states will decide whether or not they want abortion to be legal. And it will be, it will be most likely a, just a vote by the people. Um, right. And, you know, many, many states, I don't know how many, but I would say at least half or more have laws on the books that would make abortion illegal immediately. So if Roe v. Wade were overturned, they have like these trigger laws on the books that would make abortion illegal in their state. And that would be it. Mm -hmm. So any state that has what we call a um, prenatal protection act. So like if a woman is killed, she's pregnant and she's killed in a drunk driving accident, then the drunk driver and she and her baby are killed. Then the drunk driver will be charged for two murders, right. Or homicides. Okay, so any state that has that on the books, which is the majority of states in the U.S., those states, it would automatically be illegal. Mm. Um, and so, you know, ultimately my goal is, yeah, we don't want abortions anywhere, but I think that that has to sort of come even more than legislative change. I think that has to sort of come from a cultural sure. shift. So for me, it's not just about making abortions illegal. It's sort of, it's more about making them unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, you know, we look at slavery, we look at the Jewish Holocaust, we look at sex trafficking and we go, Oh my gosh, like, how did that happen? How did we ever allow that to happen? Like, I, I do believe that one day we will get there, Mm -hmm. um, in our society, hopefully, um, where people will look at this the same way that they look at the Holocaust, the same way that they look at slavery. And they'll say, what in the world? Because it is the same principle, right? It is the same principle that, you are dehumanizing an entire group 
of humans um, in order to carry out your desire. Right. So that's exactly what slavery was. I mean, it's, it's looking at people as property, not as people. And mm -hmm. so it's taking away their, their personhood. And that's what we've done with abortion. And so if we could do it with slavery, I think we can do it with abortion, but slavery wasn't ended overnight. I mean, it did take time for the culture to eventually accept that this was wrong. And I think we're, we're dealing with the same, same thing here. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I even have basically everything you just said down in my notes. So I th I'd say that's probably a good place to end it. Um, <laughs> I think that we're gonna, we're gonna look back on this and uh, as a species and think what, what the hell were we thinking? What were we yeah. doing here? But you know, it's just, it's, it's so convenient uh, and it's so easy to, you know, five minutes and a couple hundred bucks, or I guess I don't know the, the numbers, but um, it, get it taken care of and you, uh, you're 18 years scot-free uh, of responsibility. I don't know. It, it, it drives me crazy. And I'm a libertarian and we, our party seems to go back and forth on this issue quite a bit. Is it the woman's, you know, liberty to her own body or is it the liberty of the body inside her and I've gone back and forth on it myself but hearing your story has solidified my stance at the moment and I I, I find it appalling and horrifying to uh to even you know think about doing it but not well, to not to you, demonize like, people or anything libertarian too. what's that um I, I lean more libertarian too so mm -hmm. I I get what you're saying and there's definitely libertarians on both sides are like well it's pro-choice pro right. whatever but for me our right as an individual, our, that right stops when, when my right begins to infringe on the right of another human being. Right. And that's, that's what abortion is doing. And so we can talk about bodily autonomy. We can talk about all that kind of stuff. But in the end, I'm not telling a woman what to do with her body. Mm -hmm. I'm telling her what should be done with the individual human being, that body that's living inside of her. Right. And, um, and so I, yeah, it's just for me, I mean, I think that, that we are at a place that's, I mean, it's really shameful, but I think that we're, we have to be at a similar place as, you know, where the abolitionists were, you know, mm -hmm. this, the slavery abolitionists, like there had to be times where they looked at people and went, why don't you get this? Like right. you freaking idiots, <laughs> like what, you know, like, and that's sort of where we are too. I think like with those of us that oppose abortion, like I look at these women and I'm like, what logic is escaping you? Like what science is escaping you? This is not making any sense, you know? Right. Um, and that becomes very frustrating. But yeah, in our society, it's not even just accepted; it's promoted so, mm -hmm. uh, so positively. Like Lena or whatever her name is Lena Dunham yeah, and the feminists yeah. and people saying, "I wish I would have had an abortion so that I could relate to my mother and these other people." Whatever. It's like, I know. what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, it really is sort of a sickness and yeah. super narcissistic too. Like to believe that that our rights should have the ability to take away the rights and life of another person. Like that's really, really narcissistic. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just sort of 
I mean, I feel like we are living in a society full of narcissism. Um, everybody thinks they know better than everybody else. Right. You know, I mean, look at social media, like so much keyboard courage on social media <laughs> and, um, it's just all narcissism and that's really where we are. And it's really the antithesis of, of what women are created to do and what we're meant to do. And we're so focused on feminism. We have forgotten about femininity, right. which that's it's a bad word now. <laughs> yeah. That's who women were created to be, right? Like mm-hmm. we were created to be feminine. We were created to be mothers, you know, and um, we're created to be nurturers and we've gotten so far away from that. Um, and for what, I'm not sure, like to attain this brass ring that doesn't actually exist. Um, so it, is, I mean, it is super, super frustrating, but, but we are seeing a change. I mean, there's, even when you go on college campuses and like, I'll talk to, I'll do events at college campuses and I'll talk to people and there's more and more people that are like, uh, yeah, like I don't, a lot of people don't like Planned Parenthood anymore. A lot of these college age kids, you know, mm-hmm. they're turning away from that. They're like, look, I don't really care about abortion, but Planned Parenthood has become really too political and they're so far left on everything and right. anything. And so they're, you know, I think kids are starting to sort of get it. And when you look around, like even at, um, like the March for Life, and I mean, 75% of the people there are under the age of 25. So I think we are making a lot of ground, but it is going to take a while and, and things that take a long time create frustration. So, but we just do have to be patient and worry about getting our own house in order and getting our own community, you know, talking to our own communities, even our own families, um, talking to them about why this is important, why this is an issue that affects every single human being on this planet. Mm -hmm. Um, and even for people who are sort of like economically inclined, you know, we look at what's happening in our country with social security and, and these other programs, we don't have enough money there. Well, yeah, like no kidding. Right. Because we've aborted 60 million taxpayers right. <laughs> over the past 40 years. So abortion has affected us in ways that we haven't even seen yet. Sure. Um, in ways that we don't understand yet, but I, I think it will eventually come out and we will start seeing all the negative effects and the negative consequences that killing off 60 million people has done to us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now uh, I'll let you go here in a second, I promise, but I want to make sure you uh, get all your plugs in there. Um, you have another book out, right? Um, the, yeah, I have two books. So I have one yeah. called Unplanned and then one called The Walls Are Talking. Um, the cheapest place to get them is on Amazon. You sure. can get them in Barnes and Noble and stuff, but Sure. Super expensive, uh, so. The walls yeah, are talking. I haven't had a had the pleasure of reading yet. Um, can you give the brief on what that is and entails? Yeah, so it's a compilation of uh, stories from people who worked in the abortion industry. Sort of all the things that people thought may be happening in the abortion clinic. This is sort of the real stories of what is happening. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a tough read. Um, you know, it's not something that you just breeze through and like, mm, I feel so great after reading that. I mean, it's definitely a tough read, but I feel yeah. like it's something that we can't just put our heads in the sand and go, oh, we know abortion's bad. I don't want to hear about it. Right. I mean, if we are going to say that abortion is wrong, if we're going to say that abortion shouldn't be happening, then, or even if you think abortion should be happening, like you need to know what you're supporting. Right. And so, you know, don't be scared to take a look at the reality of what's happening to these women and what's happening inside of clinics. Absolutely. 
Well, Abby, it's been a pleasure. Uh, tell everybody again where they can find your books and more information on And Then There Were None and anything else that uh, you've got yeah, going on. So uh, my website is abbyjohnsonabbyjohnson.org. Um, you can get a lot of information there about books and, and things like that. Um, my blog is there, and which I rarely update anymore. Because I have seven kids, so sure. I have no time. Um, and seven then, kids, uh, you're very pro-life now. I see. Huh? It's super pro-life. Well, yeah, like crazy pro-life. So, um, yeah. So, and then uh, our our website for our ministry is abortionworker.com. We've got videos on there from former workers. You can hear their stories and you know hear what's going on with our ministry. And so, um, yeah. And then I'm on Facebook. We're both both, and then there were none and me, Abby Johnson, we're um, on Facebook, which is where we do the majority of our posting and on Twitter. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. I, like I said, I've read Unplanned and I think it's a fascinating read. Um, and I, I would encourage everybody to go pick up a copy of it and uh, uh, the other one, names, names. I'm bad the with walls names. Are talking. The walls, the walls are, talking. are talking. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Abby, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you're ever, if you feel like coming on again for anything to promote or talk about, you're more than welcome here. Cool. Thank you so much. Hey guys, thanks for sticking around to the end. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you think. Did your opinion change at all? Has it been swayed at all? Has it been nudged in a different direction? I mean, we're if you went into this completely disagreeing with Abby's points, I mean, she makes some good points. You gotta hand it to her. She's seen this stuff happen none of the rest of us have all well maybe not none of us but the vast majority of the rest of the humans have not seen what actually takes place in an abortion inside the uterus inside the womb it, it it's horrifying but let me know do you disagree fine let's talk about it let's have a civil uncomfortable conversation that's what we're here to do you can do so by commenting on this if you're on youtube just post a comment down below and we'll chat about it but if you want to chat to me more directly you can go join the system is down forum it is our forum that is open to everybody who's willing to civilly have these conversations you can find it by going to tsidpod.com forward slash forum and ask to join and i'll get you in there but yeah uh, come on over let's talk about it what do you think? And if you're already in the forum, you know what to do. Let me know what you think. Okay. So uh, the Downers Club, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, is now on Patreon. It is our, our patron program that helps keep the show going. If you want to be a part of the show, help support it, help it keep growing, go to patreon.com forward slash the system is down. Again, we've got a whole plethora of bonus audio video content over there, and we give out merch depending on the levels that you sign up at. So uh, I got to read some names here, some downers. Um, there's so many people that have, uh, we've had qu several new people join the Downers Club just since it's uh, since it switched over to Patreon. We've had another bunch of people switch over from Podbean to Patreon. So I'm just going to go ahead and read all y'all. So I make sure I don't miss anybody. If you're new or if you're just re-upping from the former platform, um, I mean, I'm grateful either way, and we've had several people up their pledge, too, since then, because the content, the content keeps getting better. Have you not noticed? All right, so thank you so much to Andrew Sichling, Cindy Burton, Forrest Bazat, Mark Clare, Clint Rankin, John Barnhouse, Austin Wilson, Jessica Swift, Mary Rome, 
Curtis Berrialt, Rachel Roberts, John Schweppe, Nick Tucker, Lee Letourneau, Sean Kushat, uh, Justin Zelensky, Lucas Riley, William Wells, and Tyler Mills. Thank all of you so much for supporting the show financially. You are amazing, and you are the reason why the video quality... Well, I was still using the old camera when we shot this one, but the video quality is now a million times an arm and a leg and a head and a shoulder is better than it used to be. If you watch some of the uh, the video interviews that are coming up, I recently used you guys' money to upgrade that and give you a better viewing experience. And we're going to be using it for other things to make sure that this show is as good as it possibly can be for you. All the money from this thing, this Downers Club, goes straight back to you guys because I'm just going to keep making it as good as I possibly can. Alrighty, so, blah, 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 you know about all the social networks, right? You've heard of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all those fun things. Go over and like, share, subscribe, and do all that junk. I'm not going to get into the details, because if you don't know how to use it by now, then you'll never figure out the internet at this point, because you've got way too much catching up to do. But if you wouldn't mind going to iTunes or your Apple iTunes app and leaving a review for the show, uh, preferably a five-star review, and just let people know what this is, how much you love it, and, you know, what they can expect. That would be great. And it will take you about 30 seconds, and you will boost the numbers for the show and help more people hear it. If more people hear it, more people join the Downers Club. More people join the Downers Club, I am able to afford more things to make this show bigger and better. Every All these things are for you just for you, because I love you. I really do. Uh, whether you're a, a contributing listener or just a listener, um, every download of the show matters because that is boosting our credibility as well as we move up in the charts on iTunes and other platforms. So do that. And uh, of course, go out, have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody this week. I know we live in a world where that is borderline impossible, but try, try to, and maybe preface, if you're going to talk to somebody about something that you know you disagree on, maybe preface with, I'm not trying to argue here, but what do you think about this? And then listen to them, primarily listen. That is the most important part of a conversation. Know what you believe and listen to the other person. Know what you believe. Where do you stand on the topic? Are you going to be able to defend it a little bit or at least, you know, express your your views but then listen all right do that do all of that stuff i'll be back here first thing next monday morning faithfully as always with some more uncomfortable content for your ears thank you guys so much for listening and until next week please question everything and stand comfortable thanks this has been a goulash media production goulashmedia.net this concludes our broadcast day click